So about 10 years ago, um, my son, who's really into soccer, he played soccer from the time he was little all the way through high school, and uh, about 10 years ago when he was nine or so, uh, he joined our city's competitive team, and they were, as always, looking for coaches, and they were hurting for coaches, and they said, hey, uh, we'd like you to be a coach, would you be willing to do that? And I reluctantly said yes, and they said, okay, but the kicker is you have to go to Milwaukee to this class to get what's called an e-license so that you can coach 11 on 11. And so it's a weekend long. It starts Friday. It goes all the way to Sunday. And you just stay down there and you get your license. And so I said, sure, I'll go to that. And I was expecting it to be lecture. I had khaki pants on, dress shoes, my pen. And uh, I was actually late on Friday. I got in there late and that was not a good thing. Uh, I felt like I was back in the military when I showed up. And so um, it wasn't a lecture deal. It was 60 people. I was by far the oldest at around 42. Most of the people in there were college-level soccer players who were getting licensed so that they could coach in their summers and make some money. And uh, what it is, instead of lectures, you are actually in an indoor soccer facility on the pitch from Friday all the way to the end of Sunday, and you're playing soccer because the way it works is you have a moment where you're being kind of judged as a coach when you run a practice and you run a game, and that lasts for about 40 minutes. But then when you're not doing that, you are the team being coached. So this is like playing soccer Friday all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Saturday night, I got to my hotel. I'm laying in bed. I don't know how I'm going to do this one more day. There was actually a family physician who was uh, taking the course too, who had pity on me, came to my room, gave me some medicine, helped me with blisters, all sorts of stuff. You can do it. You can do it. Pep talk. I thought I was going to die. Sunday comes. They, you know, they say, I know, we'll put them in goal, right? So put them in goal. Yeah, exactly. I found out, I didn't know it at the time, but one of the best college soccer players in Wisconsin was there, and he comes, and he's at the top of the box, and he takes a shot at me that I found out later was going 75 miles an hour, <laughs> zipping past my head. Goalies usually dive towards the ball. I dove the other way. And people on my team said, come on, you're supposed to catch it. And I said, come on, you're really confused. You're not seeing what's really going on here. I made it all the way to Sunday. I graduated. I got my, certificate, my certification. But I walked out to the parking lot. I could barely get in my car. When I got to my car, I knew it was going to be even harder getting out. So I thought about just driving to the nearest hospital and having people help me. One of these things was not like the others. Have you ever been somewhere where you feel like you don't belong? Have you ever been somewhere where you feel so out of place? For many of us as followers of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in today, a world that is increasingly becoming more and more post-Christian, it's easy to feel like we no longer belong. Gone are the days when Christianity was tolerated, when even if they disagreed, it was okay, or even when the majority of people we knew were Christians. Those days are done. Now it's like you, I have to hate you and you have to hate me. 
Our president of our denominations, college, and seminary wrote this in a recent letter. As Western culture becomes increasingly antagonistic to the gospel, it also necessarily becomes increasingly detached from reality. Meaning if you detach yourself from God and his ways, you're detaching yourself from the way God designed us to live in reality. It's no coincidence that a generation which denies the existence of our creator and his ways also denies other fundamental truths. The tragic implications of our culture's dominant worldview become even more evident after the devastating shooting in Tennessee. What he's saying is once a culture as a whole starts denying God, they start denying his truth, and then crazy things start to happen and society begins to fall apart. Now that sounds hopeless. That sounds scary. That sounds fearful. However, even in that world, and worlds worse than that, we as followers of Jesus Christ have hope. We have an undying hope because people in very, very dark places not only are worshiping Jesus, but they're still coming to Jesus. There's no generation that's too lost or too far from God. And in this world, followers of Jesus, in this world, that's antagonistic towards the gospel, followers of Jesus can live in peace and live in love and live in hope because of one reason and one reason alone, Jesus Christ. Because of who he is and because of what he has done and because of what he promised us, we can live in this current culture and cultures far worse than this because of Jesus Jesus told us how to live in a world like this. And because he lived in, this, in a world like this, he died and he rose again and is the only son of God, we can trust and embrace him and what he said. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn it on or open it up to John chapter 20. If you uh, have an electronic version, I'll be using the NIV if you're using a paper Bible and you're kind of new to the Bible, John is kind of towards the back. If you go halfway, start turning to the right, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'll be in chapter 20, and it's page 881 in our Worship Center Bible if you're looking that, there. Abigail did an awesome job reading this passage for us, but I want us to look at it together. And so I'll read it again. John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
In this passage, Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, and he tells them what he wants them to do post-resurrection, what he wants them to do after Easter Sunday. And the first thing that I want you to see that Jesus instructs them to do is this, that God the Father's mission continues. That God the Father's mission continues. As amazing and good as Easter is, that's not the end of the story. Jesus tells his disciples what is supposed to happen next. And he makes this incredible statement. It's a statement that personally changed my life forever. It's a statement that a follower of Jesus can't ignore. It's a statement where we can find purpose, direction, truth, hope, and comfort as we live in this world. And the statement is this from verse 21. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, the first part of this, peace be with you, is a double meaning. The first part is it's just a greeting. He was greeting them. It was a common way of greeting. But the second part of that peace is that it was a messianic fulfillment One was going to come to bring shalom, to bring wholeness to the world and wholeness to their souls. And when Jesus said, peace be with you, he was saying, in fact, I am he who did that. And now I give that to you. You can live in this shalom, wholeness of soul peace because of Jesus. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you from God the Father to God the Son, to Jesus' followers, one mission. The mission has been passed down. Jesus came, sent by the Father, to seek and to save that which is lost. We as his followers share in that mission. The story is not over. Jesus is risen from the dead, and that is wonderful. It's foundational to our faith. The Apostle Paul says if there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. But as as wonderful as it is, the story goes on. It goes on because the mission of God goes on. The disciples were not permitted to kick back and take a vacation. They were commissioned to go forward, to take this story we call the good news about what Jesus did and take it to the nations, go to the entire known world and proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done and that he is alive. And we as followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to do the same thing today in the crazy world we live in. This is how we live as followers of Jesus. So if that statement from Jesus gives us direction gives us purpose, then it begs a very, very important question from us. If Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you, the question we have to ask is, how did the Father send Jesus? Because that's how we're supposed to be sent as well. And as we unpack this this morning, we're going to see how we, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to live in a crazy world today. The first thing we see is that Jesus was sent incarnationally. He was sent incarnationally, meaning he took on human flesh. 
When God wanted to come to earth to save the sinful, rebellious humanity that he created, he did so by coming and entering into full humanity. God could have came a lot of different ways. God could have came with big lights. God could have came with like this ghostly image that covered the whole moon earth. But God came in full humanity. God took on flesh. He knew the most effective way would be to live among us. The most effective way to communicate who he is and his witness was to live among us. Jesus was the first cross-cultural missionary, and he crossed the culture of humanity. He was fully God. He is fully God. And when he came to earth, he added to his godness his humanity. John, earlier in the book, says the word, referring to Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the message, he says, the word moved into the neighborhood of humanity. The Father sent Jesus incarnationally. So now Jesus sends us incarnationally into a crazy world. Well, what does that look like? But we're supposed to live in and among this crazy world, not separate and isolated from it. We who live among those who are far from God are supposed to do so and be an embodied witness, meaning that Jesus changed our lives and now we live out the Jesus way where he placed us in this crazy world. How will this world How will the people in this world who are far from God know of this amazing story of how much God loves them and how much he can restore him if we as Jesus followers point fingers, if we demonize them because of what they say, if we demonize them because of what they believe, if we expect them to live God-honoring lives without the Holy Spirit, or if we judge them and look down upon them because they don't believe the things that we believe. How does that help them see Jesus? This week, I was really saddened and troubled when I heard and saw and read that a well-known talk show host person on a major news network made this statement that the shooter in the Nashville shooting because they were transgender and because this happened, that Christians, you should wake up because what is happening here is the transgender community is declaring war on Christians and Christianity, and so you better wake up. And when I saw how many Christians were applauding this and cheering this and agreeing with this, my heart broke. Because here's the point. Regardless of what side you listen to, whether it's politically conservative or politically liberal, regardless of what network news you listen to, if you are listening to a voice that tells you that you are supposed to hate people who disagree with you or are different than you, or you're supposed to be in fear of people who disagree with you or are different than you, 
Or you're supposed to antagonistically divide people who disagree with you or are different than you. Then let me tell you, that voice is not controlled by the spirit of Jesus. It's controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist. And the best thing you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ is shut that off. And as a pastor who cares about your soul, I'm tired of it. The Bible does not tell us to hate and be afraid and antagonistically divide people we disagree with or people who are different than us. In fact, it says the actual opposite of that. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. He said, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The Apostle Paul said, when, you are when you're interacting with this world, let your words be seasoned with salt. Meaning, let their words be kind and gracious. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You can disagree, but you disagree lovingly, knowing that they are created in the image of God. God didn't, if anyone's telling you to hate or fear people who are different or disagree with you, that is not of the Spirit of God. The Bible says that we do not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and sound mind. So if that's the result of your heart, that when you hear people who disagree with you and you're, hate, you're filled with hatred or division or fear, stop listening to that. There was a church that's a lot like ours, and um, a pastor gave a message, and after the service, a gentleman came forward, and he started talking to the pastor, and he, he told the pastor that he said, you know, my orientation sexually is homosexual, and I don't agree with what the, some of the Bible says about those passages. And the pastor, wisely under the power of the Holy Spirit, I think, said, hey, can we get together and talk about that? And he met this person for, with coffee, and he went into the meeting, he said, you know, I'm just going to listen and ask questions, because I want to find out what it's like for this person. How do they live? And this pastor just listened and asked questions. And at the end of that hour meeting, the pastor said to this person, you know what, you told me that your orientation and that you don't believe what the Bible says. I'm an evangelical pastor who believes what the Bible says. The world says we're supposed to hate each other. What if we did something different? What if we got together for coffee once a month and really listened to each other and just start to get to know one another? And he agreed and they did. And you know what? Do you know what happened? You're not gonna believe this. They became friends. Can you imagine? Now, they didn't change their opinions, they didn't, but they liked each other. In fact, they read books about different sides and they learned from one another and listened to one another because they had this, past, this position, this posture that you as a person are more important than the issue at hand. There's a group that comes around in our area so often and they like to get on their social media and websites and take pot shots at churches like us at Crossview. They write about how bad we are and they, how we pervert things and all sorts of stuff. And they do it not just with Crossview, but CLF and other different churches in the area. And they're, they're a group that is, their doctrine and teachings very far from Scripture, very, very ultra-hyper 
conservative. They feel like if you have an Easter service, like what we had Sunday or a Christmas Eve service, that you're pagan and you shouldn't do that. So we're talking about teaching that's very, very far from what the Bible says. Uh, But one particular week, they were taking a lot of pot shots at Christian Life Fellowship at CLF, a whole week. And then that Sunday, they actually showed up at CLF and they protested. They were out with signs and protesting as people driving into the parking lot saw them and visitors coming saw them. And and when the service was done, Pastor Jeff, who's wise and wonderful, went out there with his team and they had cold bottles of water because it was a hot summer day. And they handed one to every protester and they said, can we just have a dialogue and talk? See, that's embodying incarnational ministry. That's being Jesus in a crazy world. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's how it looks like when we are sent into craziness. There's a pastor and author I like to read, and he posted this this week. He said, don't antagonize, have a cup of coffee. That was the title. Don't antagonize, have a cup of coffee. He said, I've learned this lesson a thousand times. When confronted with someone who is difficult, who misunderstands you or the situation or seems against you, don't antagonize, demonize, or make an enemy. Have a cup of coffee and ask questions. And then he says this, and pray that the presence of Jesus will be there in the midst of you and watch God work in ways you weren't anticipating. That's it. That's how we live incarnationally in a crazy world like this. And let me say this, Christians and followers of Jesus, it's on us to make the first move. It's on us to make the first move. Jesus said the Father sent him to seek and save that which was lost, that which was far from God. Jesus was drawn to people who felt like they were too far gone. It's interesting when we look at the Bible and the Gospels and you see Jesus' life, it's interesting that the people who were farthest from God, furthest from being a Christian, felt so comfortable with Jesus. They loved being around him. They loved hanging out with him. The Jesus way is to become friends with those who are very, very different than us, who are very, very far from God. As the Father sends me, so I am sending you. And Jesus calls us as his followers to live incarnationally in this world that disagrees with us. How else did the Father send Jesus? Well, he sent him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of odd to think about because God the Father is God, God the Son Jesus is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. And so now you have the Son of God on earth and he is living and ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. It says this in Luke 4, chapter 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So you have the Son of God being filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit. That's amazing. Same chapter, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. Same chapter, verse 18, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is upon me. 
See, Jesus lived his life and ministry on earth in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, modeling for us how we are supposed to live in this world. Look at verse 22. It says, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus knew and he knows there's no way broken, imperfect, finite followers of Jesus who are human beings could fulfill the mission of God in their own strength. He knew his disciples couldn't do it. He knows we can't do it. We have to be sent ones who are filled with God's spirit. And when it says he breathed on them, it takes us back to the creation story in Genesis when God the Father breathed life into human creation and they came to life. We as his church, as followers of Jesus, when we receive the Holy Spirit to empower us to carry out his mission in this world. Jesus breathes new life into him, unto us when we give him our lives. So how does that all work? How does the Holy Spirit come inside a human body and how does the human live out life in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's next week's talk. Come back next week and you'll find out all about it. As the Father sent me, I send you. And Jesus was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. The last thing I want to talk about is he was also sent to preach and live out the gospel. Jesus uses different terms to explain his mission throughout the gospel. He says that I'm, I'm supposed to seek and save that which is lost. I'm here to preach good news to the poor. I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm here to proclaim freedom for captives. I'm to go to the sick because they need it, not the healthy. I'm to save people from their sins. I'm to give eternal life. Jesus used all sorts of phrases to describe his mission on earth. All of these are descriptions of the gospel, the glorious news. The essence of the gospel is this, to any human being who will surrender their lives to God and believe in Jesus, they are forgiven of their sins and brought into a Holy Spirit-filled, life-giving relationship with God that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And they do not have to fear death because when they die, they'll enter Jesus' presence and they'll be there forever. But it's not just for death because the Bible tells us Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All the injustices, all the pain, all the suffering is going to be made right as the kingdom of Jesus is fulfilled in that moment. And those who surrender their lives to him, get to be with him in that place forever and ever and ever. That's the gospel. That's what we as followers of Jesus are called to embody, to live out this message that you can be forgiven, that you can have a new life, that you can be new again. You could be free from all the regrets and shames and the things you wish you could change that you did in the past that you can have a power and a love living within you that heals and changes your soul forever. That's the message of Jesus. That's the gospel. So we're supposed to embody and live out that gospel, but we are also supposed to tell people about that. We are supposed to speak it. 
There was like a cute little phrase that was going around churches, and I still hear it every now and then. They attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi, though I don't think he said it. And they say, preach the gospel everywhere you go and sometimes use words. Now that's cool, and I get what they're saying. We're supposed to embody gospel. We're supposed to live it out. But Jesus is really clear in Mark 1 that the gospel is something that has to be spoken. People have to know what he's about and what he did. So as his followers were called not just to live it out, but to speak it. And then as we look at how we're supposed to be sent, we see something that's kind of weird in this passage. Look at verse 23. Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive, then they are not forgiven. What is happening here? Because it sounds like that Jesus is giving his disciples the ability and authority to forgive sin or not to forgive sin. But that's not what's happening here. That's not what's taking place here. To understand this and what the scripture says, we need to dust off our grammar skills a little bit. So I'm going to take you back to elementary grammar. Some of you are like, great. But it's key to interpret passages like this to know what's going on. So this is written in what's called passive voice. There's passive voice in grammar and there's active voice. Active voice would be like if I said, I want ice cream now. That's active voice. Passive voice would be, ice cream is wanted by me now. Passive voice changes it a little bit. This verse is written in passive voice. And it tells us that Jesus is not saying to his followers, you have the ability to forgive sin or you have the ability not to forgive sin. What Jesus is saying here is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is giving his disciples authority to proclaim and carry out God's gospel mission. With his disciples and you and I as followers, we are now sent ones with the Holy Spirit, ambassadors, And we, the church, have authority from our king to carry out the mission and message of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here is kind of like when we have communion and we go through and we have public confession and you have time to forgive your sins before God and then we pray a prayer and then I say, if you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. Receive the forgiveness of God. That's not Dan declaring you forgiven. That's me as a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ telling you what this book says, that if you do those things, you can receive forgiveness from God. He is the one that does it. The apostles and all believers participate in God's saving mission by declaring God will forgive all who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and God will not forgive those who do not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus was sent by God to proclaim this amazing gospel message to broken, imperfect, sinful people that we can all be brought back into peace with God, into wholeness with God, This is the gospel that Jesus was sent to preach. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him incarnationally to go live among. He sent them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God the Father sent Jesus to preach and live out the gospel. This is why the gospel is so important because it brings us to Jesus. It is the greatest news a human being could ever hear. 
whether we live for him forever when we die or we're separated from him forever when we die, whether we have life spiritually or death spiritually, a great post-Easter thing to do is to look at your current life with Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. We should all do that, including myself. God, search my heart. And maybe it's time for us to look at our heart again. And maybe we need to confess any self-centeredness or sin that we have in our hearts. In fact, all sin is self-centeredness and arrogance and pride. And you say, Jesus, forgive me for that. I confess that. And then we trust and we embrace who Jesus is and what he did for us at the cross. And then we want to follow him, letting him lead our entire life, saying, you are the king, true leader of my life. I will follow you the rest of my days. There's a friend of mine who told a story about when he grew up on the East Coast and he was a little boy about eight years old. He's like 60 years ago now. And he said that they grew up on a military base and then his mom would take their big, huge green station wagon and would load up him and his two brothers and all the kids in the neighborhood and they would drive to the beach. They'd spend the day at the beach in New Jersey and then when the day was done, they'd hop into the car and they'd travel back to the base. So they're at the beach, they're having a great time. It was time to go, so time to pack up. They packed up the big, huge green station wagon. Everyone piled in the car. They started driving back to the base. It was about a 40-minute trip. About 15 minutes into the trip, all of a sudden my friend looks around and notices and says, hey, Mom, where's Chris? Chris was his brother. Chris was not in the car. They looked everywhere. Is he hiding? Is he playing a trick on us? They go in the back. No, Chris isn't in the car anywhere. Mom drives and takes this big, huge station wagon steering wheel and she flips it and turns it, hits the accelerator. My friend said, I swear, we went up on two wheels, came around, crashed, and that 40-minute trip to the beach took about eight to 10 minutes because mama's foot was on the gas pedal. He said they got to the beach, they cleared out of the car, they went running to the lifeguard station, and here was Chris with tears coming down his face. He says to this day, he remembers seeing Chris's tears. 60 years later, he watched his mom make a beeline run for Chris. She wa he watched Chris make a beeline run for mom. And mom grabbed Chris and picked him up and spun in a circle. And he said they cried. And then after they cried for a while, they laughed. And then nothing mattered except the fact that they were together again. That mom embodies the heart of our father God who goes looking for those who miss the car, who goes looking for those who are lost, who goes looking for those who haven't found their way, to those who feel they're too far gone. That's the heart of God. And may we at Crossview Church always be a church that notices someone is not in the car. May we be a church that always notices there's people out there that need to know about Jesus. May we not get so focused on ourselves and our stuff and the things here that we forget about those who are out there far from God. 
May we at Crossview Church always be a place where people far from God who feel like religious failures, who feel distant, who feel confused, who feel broken, who feel sinful, always feel welcomed here. May they always feel valued here. May they always feel at home here. And may they feel the amazing love of God the Father here. And after they interact with us, whether it's in this building or with you out in the world, may they walk away from that interaction sensing the presence of Jesus inside every single one of us, sensing that they are truly loved by God. As the Father sent me, so now I send you. Let's pray.